0: Inside the game, brought to you by Radar Media. Eleven down, one to go of the 2020 Dakar Rally. Welcome once again to Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. The special Toyota Gazoo Racing. Uh, version of uh, the podcast, all dedicated to the Dakar. Uh, I've got the usual suspects uh, here for the penultimate night. Uh, it is Mario D'Souza, D'Souza Voldu van der Waal, and one Ben Constantiduros. Let's well, oh. not that. <laughs> 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 because I found this out uh, a couple of nights ago. Uh, ben I humbly apologize, Ben Yes, and you didn't correct Finally. me at all. I was uh,
1: waiting for this occasion, but you found out before I could.
0: Yeah, man, I, I sincerely apologize. And, and you know, I wanted to do it to you live on the podcast, but uh, we found the site, I think, of a breakfast yesterday. So I'm really, really sorry. Did you just shock yourself?
1: Yeah, I <laughs> just got a shock in the microphone.
2: That'll teach you. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, but, uh, Ben Constantouros, uh, a, a superb presenter, a superb producer, and it's been really, really great working with you over the last two weeks. Also changing a tyre, that was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, if you haven't seen that video, jump online to Toyota Europe uh, or indeed on uh, Supersport and uh, have a look at it. Me and Derek trying to change a wheel. 57 seconds was the target time. I could not believe you'd never operated uh, a wheel gun before.
0: No, never. I've used an old school spanner.
1: Have you not ever drilled a hole in a wall?
0: No, I have, but I haven't used a, a wheel gun. A, so a nut runner, as A nut runner. As well. No, yeah. I had never used a nut runner. Used a spanner and a drill, but not a nut runner. Now I have, um, with uh, uh, I not could, much success. I
2: couldn't help, at <laughs> the two of you. You must know, Fernando's not exactly the biggest guy on earth. No. No. And um, it removed and replaced the wheel by himself the two of you <laughs> had to get together to lift the wheel and put it in place
0: <laughs> i i got a message from glenn hall's wife michelle hall who's very much involved with tuatakazoo racing and she obviously watched the show a couple hours ago and she said derek can't you pick up a 35 kilogram tire my macho girlfriend but okay, you didn't under two minutes. Uh, I give you a rookie medal tyre change of the year nonetheless. Yeah, so we got it just under two minutes. Um, but yeah, not, not quite close to 57 seconds.
1: And I mentioned in the, um, in the video that the mini tyre must be even harder to change. But actually, they don't have the regulation that the four-wheel drives have that limit the, the, amount, of, uh, the, the amount of material used in the wheel rim. So the wheel rim has a 13 kilo weight limit to it. It can't be any lighter than that. The minis, or the two-wheel drives, don't. They, therefore, their wheel rims are less heavy, which is actually very, very important in a car because it's a, it's a moving piece of mass. Uh, and so the lighter the wheel, the, the better performance you have. But four-wheel drives are limited to 13, then obviously the tyre around it makes it 35.
3: And the minis have the self-inflating tyre system too. It doesn't help if the tyres burst, though. No. So, you know, they still have to um, They still have to change things. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Ben's been shocked by his microphone again. It's a shocking performance this evening. Ben. Why,
1: why are none of you getting shocked?
3: I, I, I've had this once before with this particular setup, and then I just try and keep the mic a little bit further away. <laughs> it's very entertaining. Uh, p- please put it closer again. Um, where were we? Oh, yes, the Minis have a, uh, the self-inflating and deflating system, which obviously... Um, Helps a lot, but if that's only if the tyre still has air in it or can still be inflated. Um, If it's burst and broken, they still have to change it, but then they have much more suspension travel. So, you know, the car needs to be jacked up so much higher than ours in order to be able to change the tyre. So, pros and cons, you know, swings and roundabouts. Overall, I think we'd rather have more suspension travel than... (laughs) and the inflating tires.
1: Oh, it's not like they're actually getting a jack and going Yeah, oh, exactly. It's just have to press a button to get it up in the air.
0: That, that was actually the other stuff up that we made as well <laughs> while changing the tires that we had uh, the hydraulic jack system which uh, simply required a button. Uh, and unfortunately I didn't hold it in long enough. Um, did you get shocked again? Yeah, I don't know was going on here. <laughs> Mate, it Maybe shocking? we need to
3: um, pause for a moment. Let's do that. <laughs> Right, take two. We uh,
0: just had to try and change <laughs> some plugs and some cords, and uh, you had to go put on shoes. <laughs> I think I think i
1: might be earthing myself, so <laughs> we're all good now.
0: <laughs> okay, well, let's hold thumbs so that uh, Ben doesn't suffer any more shocking experiences. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, talk about the last two days of racing. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the 10th stage. Ben Nasalatia started at just 24 seconds behind Carlos Sainz. Uh, we had the potential. To see the closest ever finish to a Dakar Rally in the car uh, category, it was not to be though. A disastrous day for Toyota Gazoo Racing.
1: Oh, and you know, NASA has been playing so hard. He's been pushing absolutely to the limit, and to get to the uh, to get so close, and then to have this navigational issue that they had because they were so far up the fields. It took them a long time to find this waypoint, whereas the guys further back. Uh, took less time because they could see what was going on. They could see that these cars were hunting for the waypoint. So Carlos Science took 17 minutes out of NASA just because Carlos had started further back and NASA was right up in front having made that infa- amazing stage the day before. Um, so he lost a huge amount of time. And then they go and uh, shorten the stage due to officially the weather, but unofficially not enough medical cover because it was such a challenging stage. That there were so many accidents.
2: Yeah, there was, there was uh, and, and I, th- I think we saw some images of some of the pranks that, that happened. Um, it was dangerous stuff. Eh? Uh, I had a chat to Janil after today's stage when he came back, and he said that he, it was almost impossible to read the uh, crest of the, or, or, of the um, uh, dunes, and where sometimes you'd think that he could go, he had to, to break you'd realize that once, once you gets there, it, it could have stayed, stayed pinned. And then two, three um, sort of crests after, it's a 10 or 12 meter drop. So it was, it was really, really scary stuff.
0: Well, videos were flooding social media of various accidents taking yeah. place out in the dunes over uh, the last two days, because remember, it was the marathon stage. So they had to go out and come back, and overnight they had to service their own vehicles, kind of, because they did have the assistant trucks uh, on standby. But the biggest well, the biggest talking point, as far as accidents were concerned, was uh, Fernando Alonso's role early in the stage.
1: Uh- so early in the stage, uh, you approach a marathon stage with a bit more caution than a, any other stage, knowing that you have to fix the car effectively at the end of stage and the car has to last two days. First obstacle for, for Fernando, that role came at the very first, basically number one in the road book. No, one kilometre in. One kilometre in. And they all were just basically accelerating off the line, getting to that point, And we saw th- two or three, I think, accidents at that point. Same June, uh, Tom Coronel rolled his buggy. Alonso rolled as well. Uh, Al raji had a two-wheel moment. Yeah, scared. oh, it was scared. close. Scared. It was very close. Yeah, and then uh, Alonso's mate actually was the the yellow car that completely cleared the June and landed on the flat.
0: Yeah, jeez, uh, and our thoughts go on to, uh, we, I don't know the names of the competitors that were in it, um, no. but apparently the navigator got quite a serious uh, spine yeah. injury. Uh, and
2: I think he's having three vertebra fused. Oh. Um, funnily enough the the drivers n- no injuries but um he's not mentors, he doesn't know where he is he oh. thinks he's racing the Dakar tomorrow so it was really there was a scary accident it, it certainly was it was airborne for for a couple of seconds and
0: uh, it was actually parked in the bivouac today on a trailer yes and you could see people coming to wanting to see the damage to the car because from the outside it doesn't look too bad unless you know the story mm. behind it. And of course, they'd seen the videos and everyone that knows anything about racing, you see that and you right. realize,
2: wow, this, this was bad. Now it was bad. The um, front shocks, for example, had broken off the hinges, the the, the the mounting brackets and pushed through the bonnet, um, chassis bent. Uh, one of the, our technicians was saying that the front diff had split in half. So, I mean, it was a massive impact.
0: So, yeah, Fernando Alonso suffering that roll early in the stage. Uh, luckily, not too much damage, but the windscreen shattered and the start of the marathon stage, I mean, that's one of the last things you'd, you'd want to suffer.
1: 1K, and it was a proper shatter. There was no chance of him carrying on with the windscreen like it was. Uh, he popped both of the lights out as well uh, and broke a wishbone on the front right corner of the car. So they spent about an hour uh, popping the windscreen out, that's an easy thing to do. You just push it out, but actually then replacing the wishbone uh, on the front right so they could continue. They had a puncture, I think, as well, just simply by the landing, so they had to change the tire. Uh, and they lost an hour and, and carried on. All part of their adventure on the Dakar, I suppose. But they spent the rest of the stage with uh, air in their face. Mark Comer, quite used to that with his goggles and stuff. Fernando, well, I suppose he's a of Formula One driver, but not with an open face helmet.
2: Yeah. I uh, I think, well, he did more or less the same thing in South Africa, in, in Luchtenberg, a much much lighter roll, just landed up on his side, so he experienced that before, and um, as you know, uh, the second loop of, of the Luchtenberg race, I think it was five k's out, out of the, we call it bivouac over here, but out of the service park. He ate a guinea fowl and smashed the windscreen again. So I said to him afterwards, why don't you just kick it out? He says, no, no, too much wind made made his cheeks flap in the wind. (laughs) (laughs) No, there was plenty of
0: flapping uh, over the last couple of days uh, for him with that accident or with that roll, but uh, luckily nothing too serious. And this is what he had to say uh, following that roll, because remember, he still had to do uh, a couple of hundred kilometers uh, to um, the destination and then still return uh, following uh, the midway point of of the marathon stage. And uh, yeah, this is what Alonzo had to say.
3: It was not scary you know when you crash at 250 or 260 in a formula 1 uh, you know if you roll at uh, 40 kph uh, it feels like in a slow motion but uh, uh, it has been a lot of talk about this roll because uh, today that I recover the network I have like 60 sms you know from all my friends you know if i was okay so uh, it's sad you know that there are so much talk about this small thing
1: and not enough talk about our performance i think
0: so interesting thoughts, particularly, Ben,
1: with regards to Formula One. This is, uh, yeah, I get that. I totally get that. Crashing at 250 kilometers an hour. If you remember the crash in uh, Australia in the McLaren uh, a few years back where he completely destroyed the car and it was just down to that bare cockpit. Um, th- that would have been a very soft roll. We've actually got the onboard footage that I don't think has been released yet, but uh, we've seen it uh, and it's a very soft roll. Mark... Wasn't really expecting it. He was fiddling around with something uh, to his right-hand side, and all of a sudden the car was on its side. Uh, a little bit s- lot of sand inside the car, but instantly pressed the starter button, and they tried to drive off.
3: Oh, sorry. I'm back. Hello. I think what is interesting about it is, is Fernando's own comments, where he said uh, a lot has been made about the role, and obviously it was a big thing. You know, you start the marathon stage, you roll it's on the a first time
1: to do it, because it, uh, like it was new... People waking up in the whole of the world to that, to news. that news.
3: Absolutely. So there's no there's no talking it away. It happened and it wasn't great. But then he says, you know, everybody's focusing on the role, whereas he reckons they should be focusing on what they did afterwards, which was repair the car and race it all the way to the bivouac wearing um, ski goggles. Not great, or motocross goggles. And then uh, repair the car overnight and actually do a really good job coming back to Harad. So there's a lot of positives as well. <laughs>
1: okay. But we have seen the footage of the repair. Uh, in the bivouac <laughs> in the yes. evening. And yes, they did have to replace the wishbone out on the stage together, Mark and him. But when they got to the bivouac, the um, windscreen wasn't really repaired by them. More the T4 assistance. Field.
3: Well, we need to explain that a little bit. I yeah. don't know if we we have spoken about that yet. But the uh, out on the on the route, there's a, a t- uh, assistance trucks. Most of the, t- well, all of the teams have... Um, an assistant truck assistance truck that follows them around it's called the t4 it's a race category there are race tracks Um, to give you an idea, our trucks race in the T1 category, so T4 you can work out is just further down the picking order and they carry uh, a a driver, a navigator and a mechanic Um, the the teams that aren't quite as fortunate as the factory teams usually uh, rent space on one of the T4 racing tracks, so if you don't have a big enough budget to have your own, you can get some space on one of the trucks and send some spares and and the use of the mechanic that's with it in our case, the truck was stocked for the Hilux um, and had the necessary spares, including a windscreen and someone who knows how to fit it. Um, And since they are also entered as competitors, it is within the rules for them to assist our racing crews once they get to the overnight bivouac of the marathon stage.
0: Yeah, so simple enough. They managed to to get it uh, topped up, which was great. And they managed uh, to make their way back on this side. And um, we spoke about wearing of the goggles. And uh, you made an interesting point, Ben, because we've also got Fernando, who's promoting his own uh, clothing label. And he's got numerous pairs of shades that he wears each and every day, <laughs> uh, after every single drive. And, um, they change in appearance. Uh, one pair though stand out and, and he could very easily have worn them throughout the last two days.
1: I think he did. I, th- I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Kamoa, <laughs> the Kamoa, sort of, uh, they look like ski glasses. They c- cover most of his face. And I don't think he wore ski goggles. I think he wore these. He wore his own, but Mario <laughs>
3: actually has a, a bit of a claim to fame with a whole, uh, windscreen situation. And in, in uh, Fernando's, uh, racing career, Sydney, when it comes to cross country racing, because you were there in Lichtenberg at the Lichtenberg yes. 400 when he rolled the car, um, during one of his first outings and and gave him some advice advice on the side of the road
2: yeah we pulled him over uh because i could see there's no way they could see anything out of that windscreen with the sun shining in it you know a cracked windscreen all you see is, is stars really so um at one of the road crossings i stopped him pulled him over said kick the thing out and put your goggles on and carry on which he did <clears throat> and that's where he experienced the um, flapping cheeks. And uh,
0: you've shared uh, quite a, a close-knit relationship with uh, Fernando over the last couple of days. I know we've spoken about it before, but you are his official, unofficial bodyguard, so to speak. You are the media liaison. What was it? The media attache we named you, so you've been arranging the media, and you've had to be pretty stern and harsh with uh, various members of the media, including me. Yesterday, Mario said, what are you doing here? Get out. <laughs> <Get> out. <laughs> you taking up space.
2: <laughs> no it's been it's been a challenge in some in some of the bivouacs today um which i didn't think it was going to be too much of a challenge the bivouac was filled with people more press than we've seen before and possibly because people are just wanting to uh, report on the last couple of days and 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 obviously the last two stages that not a lot of people could get to to the drivers and navigators but also a lot of public and there was a of people wanting signatures and autographs, and they picked up pieces of the car when it rolled and um, wanted. <laughs> volda has got I'm a piece, but at, at, least, at least he didn't ask it <laughs> to be signed.
3: <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. But I, I had to explain myself to Ben earlier as well because he called me a fanboy and I took slight offence to that. Um, I've, got, I've got quite a comprehensive collection of broken pieces of race car in my office at the house. Um, and this is going up on the wall with that. You know, it's a bit of a story and I was there for it. And uh, the interesting thing is, it's not signed. I don't want it signed. <laughs> I just want a piece of the car there because it's part of history.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And this might be the only chance we see Fernando in, on the Dakar, to be honest.
3: Well, that
0: was a question I posed to him this evening once he got back to the Bivouac. Very talkative, very engaging, always smiling. And then I asked, will you be back for the Dakar? And his exact response was, I don't know. That was was one of his shortest answers. <laughs> yeah, I
2: think, I think um, uh, next year he's going to concentrate on, on Indy, Um Really wants to do the 500 and, and, and wouldn't that? Um, I think it's been a, a goal of his for a while to do the triple. Um, I think he's going to be bored next year because there's not much more happening than, than Indy, really. Uh, so maybe in a month or two, we'll find out whether he's, the each comes back and he, he may want to come back and prove a point because let's face it, I mean today he started 113th place overall, uh, 56 um, car uh at the start of the stage he got back and he finished in eighth place i mean that is as f- is astonishing for a for a rookie because let's face it we must not forget yes he's two times world champion yes he's uh wc champion and but he's still a rookie he, you know in the Dakar in the off-road racing so he the man's filled with talent eh?
1: that that stage today though uh, he wouldn't have suffered too much with uh dust it was a very sandy duney yeah. stage Therefore, there would have been a lot of tracks to follow. Some of them would have been good tracks. Some of them would be less good tracks. So you do, when you're really far back in the pack, sometimes make poor decisions by following the wrong track and getting yourself in a, you know, you go left at 1 June and that takes you to the next left of 1 June and suddenly you're half a kilometre from the ideal route. So it's very easy to make poor decisions and lose a lot of time, uh, especially that far back. Ideal spot. 10th to 15th, so you've got some tracks. You know that those tracks are good tracks from the likes of Science, Peter Hansel Alatier. You follow those and you're good. As soon as you've got a couple of people who uh, are less experienced, are gentlemen drivers, a lot of gentlemen drivers on the Dakar, then you start to mistrust the route that you
2: see in front of you.
3: Sorry. Yeah, one one thing that I found really interesting in the interviews this afternoon or this evening was Janil, who said that the sand was thankfully quite wet and that made it easy or easier. He thought it would be very difficult if the sand was dry to cross. And then when we spoke to Fernando, who would obviously gone off an hour and 40 minutes behind Janil, he spoke about the very soft sand. So obviously the conditions change as well, Ben. So you've got the dust situation, you've got the tracks, but also changing road conditions.
2: Yeah, we we, we uh, just to go back to the, to the Fernando um, story. We must not forget Mark. Um, he's he's an experienced guy in, and he's fantastic. And and we don't really give, or, or maybe we do, but I don't think people realize how important those navigators are. And and they really are a massive part of the team. I mean, Janil is really gel, gel gelled extremely well with Alex. Um, obviously Fernando and, and Mark have had a, a good relationship and, and Fernando always praises Mark at the end of every stage and I think those guys have, Mark has done an excellent job also remembering it's a rookie for Mark as a navigator um, but he's got tons of experiences reading the, reading the roads
1: had a really good chat with Matthew Bommel that went out on the Toyota Europe uh, uh, Tw- YouTube channel with our little feature that we do each day, plug uh, and um, <laughs> go and watch it. The long version will be up very soon. And and we're Both using it. Andrew. <laughs> and we're
0: featuring it on Supersport. Thank you very much. You uh, it's it's been fantastic being able to add that uh, to the pieces.
1: And the way he described his job was very very interesting. He said, "I've got lots of pictures in front of me, and I need to translate those pictures into NASA's brain so that he can see those pictures in front of him." and be able to read the terrain and understand exactly what that picture meant as a line in front of him in the dunes or on the tracks. Uh, It's a difficult thing to get your head around, but effectively that's the only way they know where to go, is a load of lines with arrows and not arrows and a couple of caution signs and lots and lots of kilometres as to when that next thing is. Uh, And they're trying to take that road book. It's not like WRC where you're going five left, caution, six right, constant chatting. It is in 50 kilometers, there's a left turn. And you get to that 50 kilometers and you're in the middle of the dunes. And and it's an invisible flagpole in the sand that you need to get within 800. Well, no, you need to get within 200 meters off to set it off. But you only get to see it if you're 800 meters away from it. So, I mean, it would be a fantastic computer game.
2: It would be. <laughs> they did make
0: one, but it was they, they did. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I played it about two years ago, myself and Voldu. We got sent versions of it. Yeah, and review copies. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was horrible. And, and it was a struggle because trying to do that, then you'd get to the very last waypoint, and because you'd messed up right at the beginning... Then you're just riding around aimlessly, and you'd end up lost every single time. It was like a real stage, though, because it, you'd you'd actually play a stage for two to three hours. It took forever to just complete a stage. <laughs> Man, it was it was torturous. Uh, look, not as torturous as, as actually sitting in real thing. You know. but uh, it was tough nonetheless. But yeah, it is extremely tough. And you know, Mathieu has been one of the unsung heroes of the entire Toyota Gazoo Racing Dakar um, story. Uh, Of course, they are the defending champions, so he helped Nasser cross the line last year. And, you know, he really took it on the chin this time around because they did eat up those uh, 18 or 19 minutes uh, during the 10th stage. And I spoke to him today, and you could see he was uh, very disheartened uh, by what he did. And, uh, of course, it's not his fault. But, again, when you talk about navigational issues, if they got lost, it's...
3: Kind of the navigator's fault. It's the guy in the right-hand seat. But I think, oh, well, I was working on the press release just a little bit earlier, remembering all the punctures that we had in the beginning. Yeah. The, the three-minute time penalty that they incurred in the speed zone. So, you know, there's many things that, were, that played a role in the time that they lost. And if you could take those factors away, and I know I'm sounding if, buts, and maybes, but if you could take those away, then the, the navigational ha- hassles from yesterday wouldn't have made such a big impact. It was just the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it added onto problems that they had earlier in the race as
2: well. I think the frustrations of um, <coughs> of uh, NASA having to push as hard as he had. We know that currently with current rules, the Toyota has, has, has a speed disadvantage. And um, I was chatting to a couple of the drivers, and including our our own um, Janil, sometime actually earlier today. And um, at one stage, Janil was feeling a little bit disheartened because, I mean, they had won a stage, which NASA hasn't been able to do so far this yeah, year. Yeah,
0: Janil, the only one to have captured a stage back yeah, at stage
2: two. That's it. And um, he, I said to him, you've got to remember, from time to time, so many… During so many year gaps, almost you've got a certain sportsman in in various sports in the around the world that stands out, head and shoulders above everybody else. NASA is doing that right now. There is no one in the in the paddock at the moment or in the bivouac at the moment that can read the road like he does, and that's got the speed that he does. That man is unbelievable. Um, I mean, when I say a couple of guys that stand out every now and again, the likes of Roger Federer. Uh, Valentino rossi uh, Schumacher, and 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 many more and nasa 's doing that in off road racing now He's is really is a special 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 driver
1: you talk about the disadvantages that the Toyota has over the mini buggy and and the fact that we do lack this top end uh, speed as toyota but it also the, f- the way that the route has been designed this year has so played into the hands of speed freaks and people who need to sit on the limiter in sixth gear. You know, Other rallies, uh, an average speed of 85 kilometres an hour across the whole rally, that would have been a much more favourable for the Toyota 4x4s, for any 4x4s, in comparison to the buggies that are happier at top-end speeds, more aerodynamic, not limited by the body shape of, of a pr- uh, production car. But this route is going to average nearly 110 kilometers an hour. And I think three days ago, the average was 130 kilometers an hour. That's the is. national speed limit here. That's insane. You're, you're off-road. And, and yet they're as fast as the national speed limit.
2: <laughs> and <if you> <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's a, you're absolutely right. And remember, to average 130 k's an hour, you've got to be running at 170, 180 kilometers an hour for long periods of time. And uh, Bernard actually mentioned earlier, uh, I think it was yesterday, in one of the interviews that um, may have even been today with your interview, where he said that the beginning of the of the rally was was great. Yeah. It was technical and it was difficult and, and it was the real Dakar. And then two days to go before the um, halfway uh, point, it… it it be, you know, it became that flat-out stuff that you you absolutely pinned for forty kilometers, doing crazy speeds, as as you mentioned. And then now, the last two days have really been Dakar again, and that's what Dakar should be. It's it's more of the first and the last part, and yes, maybe um, maybe a couple of of um, uh, less difficult days. But not to the to to the crazy speeds that the guys are doing.
0: The words used more often than not uh, over the last couple of days was boring. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the drivers said boring because yeah. there's no technical skills involved. You simply had to push your foot as flat as you possibly That's could it. and drive. And when it comes out to to a, a straight shootout, of course the buggies are going to win each and every time. And you know Nasalatia. Every time he got out of that car, he was saying it was to the limit, to the limit, because he had to, so that's all he could possibly yeah. do. And, I mean, it was three days ago when they when they caught up, and they closed that gap to 24 yeah. seconds, and they walked out of that Hilux, and they looked like they'd seen ghosts. Yeah, they were wired. Eh? Probably they were wide, wired, they were white. I mean, they had seen, it. You, you could see, that that had freaked them out to an extent, because they probably hadn't driven like that, for that at that speed for such an extended period of time because physically you, you shouldn't be able to be, do that, be doing that.
1: Yeah, remember, these guys are doing, I think they said it's a whole WRC vent per day, five hours in competition. Now, within that, there is a neutralization section. Almost every day there's been a tarmac It's been section, crazy, actually. Um, where they can breathe and rest and it's a, sp- a limited speed zone and so they're not completely flat out all the time another perception as to how fast they actually must be going off-road, but they are uh, they are travelling at this intensity for hours and hours, not minutes, not like <coughs> 10 minutes and then stop, 10 minutes and then stop, like you see in WRC. This is hours flat out, constant, constant concentration, making sure you don't make a mistake, making sure you don't put a foot wrong, don't touch that rock, make sure you go around the right-hand side of that dune, and uh, that's what makes... <laughs> Well, Fernando doesn't agree with it, but this is what makes the Dakar the hardest race in the world.
0: Yeah, he didn't agree with that at the beginning, and no. and and tomorrow I'm going to speak with him in the final interview that we do. And you brought it up the other day. I've got to ask him. Right at the beginning, I said, "Is it the toughest race in the world?" He said, "No, not really. He said, it's just very long. It's prolonged. You've got to do it day in, day out." So tomorrow I'll pose it again, and, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what he says. But uh, yeah, Nassar uh, an unfortunate day. But that being said, today, managing to make up time on Carlos uh, wasn't enough, though. Or could it be enough? Ten minutes standing between the two. And to make things worse, the final stage has been reduced again, Mario.
2: Yeah, it's been reduced to, I think, it's 170-yard kilometers, if I'm mistaken. Yeah,
3: 167.
2: One hundred sixty-seven, right, so three hundred odd, three seventy. Yeah. yeah, exactly, three oh, seventy-six. I think. Was, yeah. yeah. So he, when you arrived this afternoon, you actually told him that that. Um, I broke the news to him. Yeah, and and you could see the deflation. Um, yeah, he was pissed off. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was not happy.
1: And why? <laughs> Do you know what the, the the official reason?
0: Oil, I think, on the road or something.
1: Oil on the road was the reason that came out of the bivouac. But I've read on uh, on on Autosport they're constructing a gas line across the route. How this wasn't uh, yeah, established you'd, you'd
3: before... Uh, how? Exactly that. How can you... Anyway, it doesn't help to dwell on that. The, the die has been cast. So yeah. now we've got 167 kilometres to make up the best part of 10 minutes.
1: It's about two hours' competition. <laughs> Against it? the
0: King of Spain, who's got two Dakar Rally titles to his name already.
2: Yeah, yeah, and he's starting third tomorrow, so, you know... Scholar's all he needs to do really is is just pace himself tomorrow, and he's got the rally in the bag. Okay. Um, NASA is going to have to really all his butt because um, Peter Hansel's only six seconds behind him. So for him to to have second place, he's going to have to really push, and it's going to be a flat out dice between Peter Hansel and and, and uh, NASA tomorrow. What he was hoping for was that to use the 375 kilometers to try and. Put pressure and pulled as much time back on 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 uh collars as possible, I mean he pulled eight minutes on him today um tomorrow with three hundred and seventy five k's, He may have been a little bit um too far to reach, but he, he was definitely going to give it a go. Now, what I did find out tonight when uh, at the Beauvouac yeah
0: yeah, our resident sleuth
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> is that he's running. Nothing. That car is as light as absolutely possible. He's not running a single spare on the. Uh, well, he's running spare tires, but um, not a single part. No, nothing. He's he's gonna he's gonna give it his all tomorrow. Yeah, go big or go home. You know, I've it was seen
1: this before with Nasser, a couple of years ago. I was just going to say that. On the Desert Challenge, but he was an hour and 20 ahead at that time, and he still went go big and go home. And unfortunately, well. it was a big accident that he went to and didn't finish the rally. So, you know, last day, comfortable position or not, things can still happen.
3: You know, the thing is, it, I think it was Ricky Bobby that said it, if you ain't first, you're last. You know, he's got nothing to lose, really. I mean, yep. yes, you can lose second place, but do you really remember the guys that came second? Who came second last year? Well, mm. <laughs> it's already quiet around here. <laughs> what you want to race is to win. And, you know, I understand that. I don't think he should race the car to destruction, but he should give it his best.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure he will. No, he's going to.
0: It, it was interesting. Sorry, Ben. I was in earshot uh, this evening when NASA was chatting to, to Glenn Hall and, and Janil de Villiers, And they were in conversation. And NASA said, Sure, we've won uh, the, the, the events throughout the year um, and, and competed in, in events around the world. He says, but... All I really care about is Dakar.
2: It's like it's like WEC. You you win the small races, but Le Mans is the one to win.
1: Yeah, yeah. And moreover, not only is this Dakar, this is Dakar in his backyard. Yeah, this is Dakar on effectively home turf. To, yesterday, they were within 100 kilometers of Qatar. They were in dunes and areas which border Abu Dhabi and he knows very well so to be beaten here in a place where Carlos hasn't really raced in these kind of dunes and this kind of terrain he hasn't done a lot he never for a good couple of years now hasn't done the desert challenge hasn't done Qatar but NASA has done every year and going to be beaten here
0: so, so Carlos going into the final stage with a handy lead but it's happened before I think was the 2009
3: when Janil came in. Yeah, the 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 king of Spain made a mistake mm. in 2009. He was leading the race quite comfortably and um, look, Janil said to me that the visibility was low that year and there, there were some extenuating circumstances but the reality is that a mistake may, was made and he fell off in an off piece section into a little crevasse and Janil de Villiers came through and took the win. So, you know, you've also got to be in second place to capitalise on yeah. it if something happens to the leader.
2: No doubt and and, and uh Look, Peter Hansel's going to give it because with six sections apart, um, if Carlos has an issue, the win is going to be between those two uh, with Peter Hansel right there too.
0: Yeah. So suddenly from a, a two-horse race, it's very much become a, a three-horse race. Uh, Carlos sounds very much the favorite to take it, but 10 minutes the difference, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's see what happens. It's going to be fascinating to see how all three men approach it because, uh, as I say, NASA and Peter will have to push hard. Carlos can cruise but could also make a mistake. There's one final thing that's very curious tomorrow, new to Dakar. There's a thing called the Kidia Grand Prix and the Kidia Trophy at the end of this Grand Prix. Uh, completely wacky philosophy. <laughs> they'll go through the stage. They'll finish the stage at the ASS. They'll then continue to a new loop, new section very close to the bivouac, mainly tarmac, Uh, I think it's about 40 kilometres in length in total, and the top five from each category are going to do a competition which does not count for the overall. If they crash in it, it doesn't affect their overall standings, but there is a small prize. I think Janil reckons there's a hundred thousand euro in it.
3: Yeah, I think yeah, Yazid Al Raji was winding him up a little bit. <laughs> but, but we were standing next to Janil when he heard the the fake news that there was a hundred thousand US dollars on the Kidia trophy, and um, he immediately turned to his crew chief and said to him, "Drop the suspension and fit the slicks." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> he was he was prepared to lose a bundle of time in the in the final stage in order to take on the tarmac.
0: Well, I mean, what it's just a. It's a show. Thought, yeah, that's exactly it's what show. it is. It's a, it's a show for the spectators. And, and well done to the spectators. I mean, we're we currently sitting in Harad, which is, how far are we from Riyadh? About 340 kilometers. Okay, and, and I mean, uh, it's a tiny little village that we're in, really. But, I mean, we saw the bivouac today. You spoke about the media. I mean, they came out plenty.
1: Yeah, that the, um, what's very interesting is I've seen a lot of activity from various motorsport people over the last two days that they're coming out here and have been invited by the federation have been invited by the promoter not Dakar but the Saudi Arabian Motorsport Federation Roman Grosjean will be here tomorrow the Formula One Renault driver you rent no has now <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, Haas. It's, it's silly season <laughs> You've got to keep your finger on the pulse um, and, and lots and lots of motorsport people are coming out tomorrow and I think they've invited a huge amount of guests that arrived today have been shipped out here to see the bivouac in desert f- form and then they'll be shipped back tomorrow to see the Kidia Trophy. See Kidia as this new sports complex. that's so only just been built uh, and experience the show. And it's going to be a big show. The, the opening ceremony was an incredible show that we've never seen on the Dakar, even if they had a few issues with power failures and stuff like that. Hopefully they've ironed that out. They've made sure they know the names of the people who are going on the podium. Uh, and they will put on a huge show for the end of the Dakar.
3: i just quickly like to touch on, uh, on Carlos you know he he won the race 2 years ago we were there at the finish we we all um, congratulated him we phoned his son also a formula 1 driver of course it was such an emotional moment and let's not forget that as you know he's a senior driver he's yeah. been around a bit um, 59 he, years old if i'm not mistaken i thought it was 57 57, 57, 57, yeah, so yeah. But 57 anyway he's very passionate about it and in morocco in october last year um he lost out to janil on the final stage while janil was in the lead and, and carlos was chasing hard and in in the end a water pipe came off the off the car at that stage but i've never seen him as distraught as that he really pushed and he when he get, got to the end towed in he was in tears and by then, he had half an hour to compose himself. So he still takes this very, very seriously. It's not a. It's you know he's going to go out there to win tomorrow without any doubt. Interesting background about Carlos Sainz
0: is that he was a, a former Spanish national squash player, and he was the top-ranked Spanish player at the age of 16, uh, which is pretty impressive. He also had a trial with Real Madrid. And he also applied to be president of Real Madrid uh, a couple of times as well. So, sport certainly runs through his veins. And uh, he's not just a, a, an incredible driver, but a, a multi-talented sportsman as well. And, and I mean, Good it, yeah, he's not nicknamed King Carlos for nothing. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, Ken, uh, first we're going to find out who's going to win the Cadillac Trophy. Everyone can't wait for that. But more importantly... By the time uh, we return for this podcast to wrap up the 2020 Dakar, we will know the winners of uh, Dakar, the 42nd running of the event.
1: And keep your eyes out on the bikes as well, because yes. there is a really good fight going on for third position. The bikes, Ricky, um, Ricky Braubeck? Um yes, his name's Ricky. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's leading by 20 minutes. Kintani is second, pretty secure, but uh, Toby Price has just got into third. Um, uh, Matthias Valkner is fourth. Uh, And Beret had lost a load of time, so he's dropped down to fifth. Those three are really tight, and they could easily change positions tomorrow. And I want to see Toby up on that podium for the simple fact that he has been through so much uh, with the death of Paulo Gonzalez. He was there with him for an hour and 20, and it would be fitting uh, for him to see some kind of success, uh, even if it's not the top step.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow. Ten minutes between Carlos Sainz and uh, Nasser Letia, and with uh, Stefan Pedahansel breathing down the Qatari's neck. Voldy, what's
3: going to happen? As much as I don't want to say it, I think uh, the king's going to come good, hey? I'd be surprised if Carlos loses it tomorrow. Ben?
1: A dire cast, I'm afraid.
2: Mario? Yeah, I um, and obviously I'm a, I'm a man and I'd love to see uh, NASA defend the championship, uh, or at least the um, the Dakar from last year. As as Ben said earlier, you know, basically at his own ground, but especially with this, with the um, uh, stage being shortened, I don't think that uh, Collis is going to lose this one.
0: Yeah, got to agree with you, gents. Unfortunately, it is a somber note as far as Gazoo Racing is concerned, uh, but it does look as if science could get the hat-trick. But it is a Dakar, and anything can happen because we've seen it before. See you tomorrow. Ciao. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game, brought to you by Radar Media.